even though the Gospels don't lay it out, it's difficult for me to believe that Jesus didn't have a plan on how he wanted to move his disciples to maturity. Jesus taught the crowds in parables and then explained the parables to his disciples later. Jesus healed and preached. Then he sent the disciples out to heal and preach. He began to explain things about his death and resurrection after they clearly understood and believed that he was the Messiah. He left them to lead after he gave them the Holy Spirit. Jesus had a plan. Churches today also need to have a discipleship plan or pathway. It's how we bring people to faith. It's how we grow people in the faith and life. And it's how we raise up new leaders. I don't believe there is only one right way to disciple people. Some denominations have catechism. I don't see anything wrong with catechism. But it generally ends when a person is a young teen and they take their first communion. If the human brain doesn't finish maturing until we are age 25 years old, why should discipleship stop when I'm 13? Some churches use a set of books. Books are great tools, but discipleship is more than just the collection of information. It's life transformation and growing into maturity as a human being created and living in the image of God. That takes more than book study. Our discipleship pathway is called Living Stones, which comes from 1 Peter 2.5. You also, like Living Stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Living Stones is designed to be a lifelong and holistic for someone who is just coming to know Jesus as well as the person who's known Jesus for a long time. It's designed to encourage personal growth and multiplication growth of the church. We're going to spend several months exploring and engaging in our discipleship pathway. Today, we begin with an introduction on how the pathway is laid out. This is new. When we first designed Living Stones, it was more of a potluck of choices that people could choose from depending on what they wanted to learn. And we realized that Although it was freeing, it wasn't very useful at progressing people through discipleship towards the goal of maturity and multiplication. In our latest revision, we've made it a pathway instead of a potluck. The Livingstones pathway is based on the layout of the Israelite camp and tabernacle as an illustration. Livingstones has 12 focal areas, like the 12 tribes of Israel, and just as the camp had zones that got people increasingly closer to the presence of God, we've also divided those 12 focal areas into four zones of increasing intimacy with God. Today we're going to lay out the zones, and in the future we'll look at the individual steps within each zone. Let's read from Exodus chapter 40 to see how the tabernacle was set up. And we'll use that model to help us understand our zones of discipleship. Exodus 40, 1 through 8. The Lord spoke to Moses. You are to set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, on the first day of the month. Put the ark of the testimony there and a screen off the ark with a curtain. Then bring in the table and lay out its arrangement. Also bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. Place the gold, gold altar 
for incense in front of the Ark of Testimony, put up the screen for the entrance of the tabernacle, position the altar of burnt offering in front of the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar, and put water in it. Assemble the surrounding courtyard and hang the screen for the gate of the courtyard. Now verses 22 through 33. Moses placed the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the curtain. He arranged the bread on it before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded him. He put the lampstand in the tent uh, in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set the lamps before the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded him. Moses installed the gold altar in the tent of meeting in front of the curtain and burned fragrant incense on it, just as the Lord commanded him. He put up the screen at the entrance to the tabernacle. He placed the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and offered the burnt offering and the grain offering on it, just as the Lord commanded him. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. Moses, Aaron, and his sons washed their hands and feet from it. They washed whenever they came to the tent of meeting and approached the altar, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Next, Moses set up the surrounding courtyard for the tabernacle and the altar and hung a screen for the gate of the courtyard. So Moses finished the work. So in that layout, It's from the inside out, but we're going to work our way the other way. We have to remember that the tabernacle complex is in the middle of the whole Israelite camp. So our first two zones are the camp and the tabernacle courtyard. These first two zones encompass most of our discipleship pathway. In Matthew 22, 36 through 40, Jesus is asked, Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He, Jesus, said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Loving God and loving others cannot be separated from what makes up the whole law, according to Jesus. Consider this. God judged Israel on things like not keeping the Sabbath and cheating in business, on um, loving, that's a loving God thing and a loving neighbor's thing. God judged Israel for withholding offerings and not helping the poor. Again, a loving God and loving neighbor thing. God judged Israel for worshiping their neighbor's gods and not being the light of God to their neighbors. For us, the campground is where we learn to love our neighbors and the courtyard is where we learn to love God. That's why it makes up the majority of our discipleship pathway. Let's look at the camp. The camp is where we live reconciled with others. The Israelite camp is where most of life took place. It's where the people primarily interacted with each other and with other nations. It's where they had to learn to be holy in practice, not merely in ritual. The camp is where I live with other people. It's where I learn to live reconciled with others. Discipleship takes place as I interact with other people. One of my seminary professors said, loving others is the primary way 
I show my love to God. This community aspect of discipleship is a great place to learn. Obeying God in community is encouraging because I can see that I'm not the only person trying to be obedient. I don't have to pray alone about everything. Evangelism becomes a partnering of a group, not just an individual responsibility. Discipleship in community also builds character because there's accountability. Other believers can hold me accountable, and unbelievers are watching to see if I actually practice what I say I believe. In my 20s, I hung out with two guys, Brian and Jesse. We were all Christians, but one day Brian said something like, I don't think I can do what you guys do. I mean, I'm a Christian, but you guys are like super Christians. Jesse and I were shocked that someone would think we were super Christians. I told Brian, I'm just trying to figure out following how to follow Jesus every day just like you do and not too many make excuse me not make too many mistakes along the way. Many years later, I think there are people who would call Brian a super Christian. Proverbs 27:17 says, "Iron sharpens iron and one person sharpens another." Christianity is lived in the community and not just in the community of other Christians. Even if our congregation held all the past traditional church events, Sunday morning and evening worship services, midweek Bible studies, and children's and youth ministries, Friday night youth worship, and Saturday night service projects, and I or someone else attended every single event, I'd still be spending over 90% of my time outside of church. Realizing this, the Wesleyan Church has an initiative called Marketplace Multipliers. It's realizing and resourcing people to make disciples not within the walls of a church building where most of us spend less than 6% of our time, but instead where we live, work, study, shop, and play. This is the first zone where discipleship happens. The Apostle Peter realized this. In 1 Peter 2.12, he says, Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. How I live in the community should draw people to Jesus. Peter also says in 1 Peter 3.1, In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if some disobey the, the, wor- the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live. So how I live in my home should also draw people to Jesus. It's not that Peter is opposed to people attending church, but discipleship and multiplication happens first in the communities in which I live. In the Living Stones pathway, there are five steps in the camp zone. We'll explain them more in more detail in the coming lessons, but here they are in brief. First, faith. That is joining God's community. Second, evangelism, bringing others into God's community. Third, accountability, encouraging and being encouraged to live and grow in a relationship with Jesus. Fourth, responsibility, living as a responsible member of society. And fifth, justice, bringing God's restorative justice to society. I realize that's a whole journey of discipleship in itself. But the camp is where we live most of our life. The second zone is where I spend that 6% or less of my time exclusively in the community of other believers and God. 
the courtyard, living reconciled with God. That's where I learned to interact with God and his people. Exodus 40 tells us the items Moses placed in the courtyard by the command of God. The basin was there so the priests and people could be purified with water. The altar was there so the priests and people could be purified with blood. Water represents cleansing and receiving the Spirit of God. Blood is the sacrifice and covering of sin. It's in the courtyard that the sin and thanks offerings were given. It's where corporate prayers were made. It's where people presented themselves to God. It's the center of the sacred assemblies. This is where the priests and families would share and eat the sacrificial meals together. In the courtyard is where the rituals, prayers, and mystery of worship took place for most people. To us, that's a sound like coming to church. One of the main differences between modern worship services and what took place in the courtyard is that we now emphasize teaching as part of the worship. And in ancient Israel, the Levites, who were the teachers, didn't primarily teach from the tabernacle, but purposefully spread themselves out in the community. That's one reason why I believe there's a biblical basis, not just practical and logic to the idea of small groups in homes and places around our community, and not just everything centered around Sunday morning worship in a church building. So we do come together here, though, in this courtyard to worship together, to pray together, to engage in the rituals that draw us to God, to remember the sacrifice of Jesus together, to confess our sins together, to be filled by the Holy Spirit together, and to celebrate and eat together. And by together, I don't just mean together with other Christians, but together also with God. Sometimes the rituals of the church can become so familiar that it starts to lose its meaning for some of us, or we forget to explain its meaning to new people. The Lord's table is not a snack. Baptism is not a bath or a dunk tank. Marriage is not a, a mere contract or a path to equal rights. We light candles and we have an oil diffuser to symbolically remind us of prayer and the presence of God, the same as it was in the tabernacle. We place a cross in front of us to remind us that Jesus is risen from the dead. Before Easter, we place a crucifix on the stage to remind us that Jesus died as a sacrifice for me. We bring our offerings to God to remind us that everything belongs to God and to say thank you for taking care of us. We hug or shake hands and share food because we're a family. We sing because God alone is worthy. We follow the church calendar of Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Holy Week, Easter, Pentecost, and Ordinary Time to remember the full work of Jesus. In that list, I've just barely touched on the meanings of the things we do when we come together. In the Living Stones pathway, there are three steps in the courtyard zone. First, sacraments. Participating in and living out one's union with Jesus. For us, that's baptism and the Lord's table. But it also includes some of the covenantal things we might do in the church building, like marriage, dedication, and ordination. Second, spiritual disciplines. Engagement in practices that bring me closer to the heart of God and his community like worship, prayer, engaging in the scriptures, just to name a few. And third, stewardship, managing all God has given me 
from my money to my time generously. Generationally, our society has a disconnect between the camp zone and the courtyard zone that we as God's people have to keep connected and in balance. Boomers and Gen X Christians work to transform the church. Gen Z and millennials work to transform the world and care less about attending church. Both sides are out of balance. We can't transform the world without the strength that comes from the body of Christ. And even though we may change the music or the visuals, the church is not revitalized unless it is unleashed in the world. So those eight steps are things we should expect every Christian to participate in. They encompass loving my neighbors and loving God. To live in the camp and in the courtyard is to live a life pleasing to God, respectful to others, and fruitful for myself. But here's the thing. There's also more possibilities. With our remaining discipleship steps, there are also, and remember, these are also possible for everyone. But in reality, not everyone seeks these next levels of commitment. These are commitments to leadership and deep personal transformation. Let's look at the leadership zone, the tent of meeting. That's multiplying reconciliation. The tent of meeting is where I move from being a participant of God's community to being a multiplier and perhaps a leader. Leading does not mean one has to become a pastor or a priest. Even though in ancient Israel, working in the tabernacle meant one had to be a Levite. The Levites in general set up, took down, and took care of the tabernacle and its furniture and taught the people the law, while the Levite priests administered the law. In God's people today, we are called a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests is what Israel was called to be, Exodus 19.6, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. And a kingdom of priests is what we are now, 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Exodus 40 tells us in the tabernacle were the lampstands, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense. The lampstand was shaped as a tree perfected by God as it had seven branches. The priest tended the flames, supplying olive oil so the candles would burn continually. This represented the light and life that comes from God, as did the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. The showbread represented the continual renewal of the covenant between the twelve tribes and God. The priest weekly ate the bread and replaced the bread from the offerings from the people. The incense on the altar represented the prayers of the people going to God. The priest administered these symbols on behalf of the whole people. In Luke 1, 18-10, Zacharias is chosen to light the incense in the temple while all the other people remained outside praying. In all these cases, the priests are administering something on behalf of the people. For us, the zone of the tent of meeting is where I step into leadership. Not necessarily into the pastorate, maybe not even being the head of a ministry, but doing ministry. This is a move from being a participant and adder to being a multiplier. I'm not only here to worship, but to facilitate worship for others. I'm not just here to learn, but to teach. 
I'm not only here to be served, but to serve. And I'm not only here to pray, but to intercede. It's the difference between being part of the congregational singing and being part of the music team. Not everyone has a gift or talent for music. So it's also the difference between attending a small group and leading a small group. But not everyone's a teacher. So it's also the difference between taking the Lord's table and helping to set up the Lord's table. It's the difference between coming forward to be prayed over and coming forward to pray over someone else. It's the difference between listening to the scripture read and reading the scripture. It's the difference between voting at the annual meeting and accepting a nomination for an office. I realize that not everyone will progress this far in discipleship, but we all can if we choose. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12:31, desire the greater gifts. And in 1 Timothy 3:1, he says, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a good work. We are to desire and aspire to be more than participants, but instead be multipliers. In the Living Stones pathway, there are two steps in the Tent of Meeting zone. First, knowledge. This is being able to teach, both with knowledge and integrity. And second is church, being willing to serve. The final zone is the most personal, behind the curtain, living as a reconciled self. Inside the tabernacle was a curtain that separated the most holy place. It's also called the Holy of Holies. It was there Moses placed the Ark of the Covenant. Here only the high priest could enter enter once a year after being purified to place blood on the mercy seat of the Ark. It's in this area that the presence of God was said to reside. Leviticus 16 says that in order not to die in the Lord's presence, the high priest must bathe and then he must put on his holy garments. He offers a sin offering of a bull, a ram, and two goats for himself and for the people. He puts incense on the fire altar in the tabernacle until the whole tabernacle is filled with smoke. Then he goes to the most holy place to sprinkle blood on the mercy seat of the ark. If he does anything impure in the presence of God, he dies. But if he does everything as commanded, he can enter the presence of God again next year. This was a rare event, once a year, for the high priest to get this one-on-one time with God. It had to be transformational and frightening. But perhaps a better illustration than the high priest is Isaiah entering the temple in Isaiah chapter 6. As far as we can tell, Isaiah was right with God, as is right as could be expected. But when he met God and experienced the revealed holiness, Isaiah said, Woe is me, I am ruined. I'm an unclean man from an unclean people. But there in the presence of God, Isaiah is purified and called. Like the steps for leadership, not everyone will take the steps of discipleship toward intimate personal transformation. With leadership, people may not want the responsibility. With transformation, people might just be scared. I can't say for certain what God will do to me if I humbly enter his presence, but I know it will be for my good and his glory. In the Living Stones pathway, there are two steps in the the behind-the-curtain zone. First, emotions, working with the Spirit of God to bring about maturity in my inner self, my mind and spirit. Second, transformation, 
God transforming my areas of weakness and hurt that only he and I know about. A place where God may bring me more than once if I'm willing. That's the Living Stones Discipleship Pathway. In the camp, in the courtyard, in the tent, and behind the curtain. Each level accessible to all, and every level a deeper commitment to becoming more like Jesus and more like the image bearer of God that I was created to be. I pray today is not just a day that we gained information about living stones, but that each of us take time to evaluate where we are on the path and where we might want to go next. Our prayer today is taken from Psalm 139. Thank you. Everything in me says thank you. Angels listen as I sing my thanks. I kneel in worship facing your holy temple and say it again. Thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your faithfulness. Most holy is your name. Most holy is your word. The moment I called out to you, you stepped in. You made my life large with strength. When they hear what you have to say, God, all earth's kings will say thank you. They'll sing of what you've done. How great the glory of God. And here's why. God high above sees far below, no matter the distance. He knows everything about us. Finish what you started in me, God. Your love is eternal. Don't quit on me now. Our patient God, you do not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We thank you for the salvation you have given to us and others. We pray for those in our lives that do not yet know you, that the Holy Spirit will open a door for the message of Christ and that we may speak that message as clearly as possible so that the lost may be sought and saved. Amen. Go forth to live as disciples, serving God with your whole being, knowing that you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do great exploits in God's name.